Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Robins on the Wire, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol City reporter Gregor McGregor. Hello and welcome to Robins on the Wire. Michelle Owen is not with us again this week for obvious reasons, but I am joined by The Guardian's Ben Fisher, who is here to discuss all things championship. And we're going to start off by talking about Bristol City's game at the weekend against Wigan Athletic. Obviously a 2-2 draw and probably fair to say a limp performance. If I just mentioned, Ben, about Lee Johnson after the game, he's always very honest and... I thought, yeah, once again, he he was very honest to admit that it wasn't City at their best this weekend. And I suppose on paper, you'd look at this game and the Barnsley game coming up and be hoping to win these sort of matches. But Bristol City, for a while, have had this knack of, of not getting results against the teams in the lower half of the championship. Is that just a, a general championship trend? Is that an indication of how hard and tough this league is? Or is it... a a, a pointer towards maybe Bristol City having a, a few areas that they need to improve on, and and maybe need that needing that bit of extra quality, I suppose. Yeah, maybe it's a bit of both. I do think there's definitely an element of, I mean, there's sure to be disappointment that they, they didn't get the win in that game, especially with Barnsley coming up. Certain fans maybe would have viewed that as a golden opportunity to really sort of ruffle the feathers, if you like. Still, it's a it's a point gained, I suppose. Now looking back. Um, and I think, to be fair to City, they, it's that, maybe that ruthlessness to get against those teams that they, they have maybe struggled. I must admit, I wasn't there, so I didn't, I didn't see the game. But all in all, it's been it's been a great start. But I think, uh, yeah, that maybe is the difference between where they're at to taking it to the next level. But I think City know that, and uh, they've made some huge strides anyway. Yeah, just I love my stats, so I'm going to throw a couple of stats at you here. Um, Wigan doubled the shots, 19 shots to, I think, 10 that Bristol City had. Uh, almost double shots on target. They played really well on the day. I thought they were very unlucky, actually, to not come away with uh, with the result. I don't know if you saw that chance that Gavin Massey had. Have you seen the highlights? Yeah, yeah, I did see that one, yeah. Clean through, basically, one-on-one, and he's got, I think it's Sam Morsey running alongside him. Just never, gut, ever, yeah. never, ever looked like he was going to square it. Went for the shot. Massive save for Dan Bentley. How many times have we seen that this season? And, yeah, just going back to the stats, this is the one that actually Jamie McAllister uh, mentioned to me this week. I didn't know this, but Shay Dunkley is, has hit five goals now this season. Wigan's next top scorer in the league after Shay Dunkley is one is on one goal for the season. There's wow. like four or five players. I, I don't even think Kiefer Moore has scored yet this, this season for in the league for Wigan. But that's pretty crazy, I know. Like a goal-scoring centre-backs, we've seen a few at Ashton Gate. Oh yeah, Flint. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Shea Dunkley, that's pretty good in a five goals for centre-back. That's a great, uh, great record. I mean, to be fair, I mean, I suppose for Wigan as well, they, they would have been over the moon with that. I know, I know they probably feel they've they've thrown it away, but it's a great point for them at, at a team, you know, going places. Yeah. Just, <clears throat> I, I suppose when I was watching the game on Sunday. 
what, and what a lot of Bristol City fans will have been thinking is that obviously that Wigan side hasn't won a game away from home. They'd only had a point on the road so far and then they come to Ashton Gate and we've seen this a couple of times last season as well. I'm thinking like the, the Millwall home game then, the, the two-all draw against Wigan at home last season. Uh, once again, it's a team that City haven't been able to put to the sword. Following the match, Lee Johnson kind of pointed towards the squad being really stretched and I suppose in a roundabout way saying that they were missing key players such as Jeju Band obviously um, interesting little point on him Lee Johnson was saying how Jeju plays a really vital role at clearing headers from the middle of the box on set pieces especially corners and Paul Cook after the game said to us that Shea Dunkley wins the most contacts in the in the penalty area that's um, in the league, across the league, so that's why he's he's getting these goals. But yeah, I suppose when you're losing key players like City have done, then it's always tough to grind out these kind of results. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think City have been wounded. They are walking wounded still, aren't they? In a way, I know there's some good news with, with Corey Smith and those guys sort of gradually getting there. But they have had a fair share of, of injuries and just turning that around a little bit. From mm. what you know, because you obviously cover the championship in, in a broader way than mm. I do. Are the injury problems, is there a lot of teams with injury problems out there or is Cities par for the course or is it? Is that something they just have to deal with because everybody's got their own injury problems or, or are they particularly curtailed by the lack of, yeah, by the loss of Thomas Callas, Smith, Afobe, etc.? Yeah, I think it is just one of those things. I mean, to use another example, Bournemouth, for example, at the start of this season had, I think, seven, eight people out. Obviously, some of those were sustained last season, but it's one of them. And you've got people at the club sort of thinking, oh, what's going on? Is there something we're doing that, that is making this happen? But I, I honestly don't think that is the case. I think it's just one of those things. Um, maybe that, you know, somebody more intelligent than me maybe could say it runs deeper, but... Um, the main thing is that City Art seems to be heading in the right direction now in terms of getting those people back broadly at least. Yeah, I suppose with City it's probably just fair to say that the guys missing effectively kind of make up the spine of the side. If you think Callas, Afobe, who, who was so key early on, and Corey Smith over the, the longer period of time. But yeah, as you say, we're expecting Thomas Callas to be involved very soon. I think he, I think he put on Instagram some pictures of himself returning to full training Jamie McAllister said to us this week that Corey Smith has returned to full training. And, yeah, Benic Afobe, I mean, I've actually just written something on him. He's hoping to be back by March next year. And those guys, obviously, a huge boost to, to, to welcome back. Who, who would you say was the most key? Is <laughs> a tough one for you. Who would you say is the most key out of those three? Uh, I mean, to be fair, I think Afobe gave City something they, they'd lacked a lot. But I, I'm, I'm tempted to say, I think Lee Johnson, without sort of, putting words into his mouth I think I'm tempted to say he would say maybe Corey Smith in, in that role uh, I know Adam Naji sort of maybe helped, helped things in, with that regard obviously then he was out himself uh, I do think Corey Smith is a massive loss and sort of cliches it sounds I think on, on many sides of the coin if you like you know the, the whole package the fact he knows the club he knows the drill he's been here before with City I think it'll be a massive boost when he, he's back yeah. in the building did you, did you see him when he returned at all last season because I remember him coming back for a couple of games I was actually really amazed at he'd retained this dyna, dynamism and yeah that all action zip sort yeah, of yeah absolutely and it, I suppose that comes a little bit from reading the game and knowing when to, to really exert yourself and maybe with Corey if I think back to then I'm not too sure he could last for a full game at that pace naturally because he'd been out for a long time with injury 
But that does maybe indicate that he's going to be a huge boost when he comes back. Because if he can just add in 10 to 15 minutes, maybe just at the end of games at the moment, that's that's still going to be a huge boost for Bristol City. Mm. So. He, can, he, he hoovers up like sort of nobody else does, really, doesn't he, essentially? And I think he'll be a massive, uh, massive boost. Cool. Let's just hear from Lee Johnson now then. And this is what the head coach had to say following the Wigan game and explaining that poor performance, but ultimately a good point gained. Yeah, kept going. I think that was that's the most positive we can be, if you like, in terms of performance. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, yeah, that we weren't our best. I, I felt, I felt before the game, like you make an honest assessment of of your team, if you like, and and you make an honest assessment of the opposition. And I knew that we had to play our best today um, to to win this game, and it wasn't because. We haven't got good players. It was because I felt in picking a team, I was sort of like robbing Peter to pay Paul in attributes. Uh, and it was, if you look at the injury and the suspension list today, we just couldn't tick, if you like, all the championship boxes of like height, experience, speed, um, ability. Do you know what I mean? And, and it was nothing against the players that are on the pitch at all. Um, because they're all very, very good players, but it's just getting that blend, you know, and that um, that uh, sort of uh, it's not cohesion because they've got cohesion, but sometimes, for example, you need to leave it into a big striker, which they had, and we didn't have today. We didn't have in our armory uh, midfield dog, if you like, to go and just win tackles and, and set off moves. We didn't have it in our arm. Do you know what I mean? So I knew we had to play the perfect game. Um, and I knew that, that they are a good side. I like them a lot. And I think if, you, if you're building a side in your head in terms of um, attributes, we're going to have got a lot of them. And uh, we just weren't as good as them today. So even more reason to be happy, I think, with the point. Um, We've we done five or six decent moves in the first half where we, where we cut them open. Um, they're extremely aggressive in their press and we didn't get it out quick enough in terms of move that ball quick enough to then break the line we did four or five times and that's when we looked very very dangerous and uh, slick but it was often on the counter rather than um, with them having 11 faces behind the ball so that bit I was disappointed but then sometimes I look at it and I think well, hold on a minute like this is madness the boys have done unbelievably well to be in this position I said if I'd have wrote this team down in the summer sorry if you'd have told me that that team today was starting in this game uh, in the summer I'd probably put you in a funny farm um, because you know we've got so many key players that that would have uh, been involved in that game You've got to be disappointed that the same player scored from two, co- from two corners that's, that's not really acceptable is it? I am, but it was always going to be our weakness. Like we was down. If you had the total height, height of the team, I mean, Jeju plays today, and and I think this is almost one of the be- like the. I, I don't think people always give Jeju the credit he deserves because he clears more balls in that mid goal zone than anybody else in the division. Do you know what I mean? So everybody wants a striker to score thirty goals a season. But it's just as important to clear that ball in a mid-goal zone. And that's where he's world-class. And, I, and I'm sure that if he had played today, those two goals 
um, don't get scored. There's been a few warning signs, aren't there, from previous corners before the first Yeah, game. we were small. Yeah. Like, when you got Tommy Rowe picking up Kiefer Moore, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's a mismatch. And so we had to play the perfect game. And to be fair, we were patient. Like, at times, we, we wanted to be able to get it forward, but into who? Do you know what I mean? You've got to play on the floor and play into feet or work it around them. You want to be able to go through them, around them and over them and unfortunately we didn't have the option to go over them today um, and therefore um, it led us to being a little bit disjointed in certain phases of play. You could have gone second with a win, I mean that would have been extraordinary wouldn't it? We can go top Friday. with the next win, you know, I think <laughs> that's the mindset, you know, I don't, I don't think we didn't, we weren't at it because of, of that, on that side of it, I don't think we felt any pressure too early and the championship's too tight for that. And um, like I say, from that losing position, like, I was all right with the point, even though I'm demanding a lot more from individuals. I thought that was three or four. I thought Callum was very good today. Yeah, I thought, I thought his, uh, his attitude to drive towards yeah. the opposition was good. I thought um, Andy Vyman's typical Andy. Yeah. I think the, yeah, the save from Bentley, you know what I mean, is massive at the key stage. And then arguably we could have gone on to win it with Andy's and it's a good chance you know what I mean so he could probably have drove that ball a little bit uh, forward with it to then yeah, get a better he's trying to feel a bit tired at that point because he never stopped from yeah, that yeah that's true the... but listen I'm telling you if there's a goal <laughs> at the end of it it'll run another marathon um, so yeah look, I think it's one we've got to we've got to pass off as not our best but still manage to um, to get a point out of it on to the second part then and we're going to discuss about finances in the championship and in particular obviously Bristol City released their 2018-19 accounts this week uh, we're going to talk about uh, finances generally across the championship though Ben have you, have you seen much of the, the accounts did you have a, a look at any of the, the stuff around it obviously um, the club they, they haven't done to be fair the club haven't done this the last couple of years but they actually made a story of it on the website as I think that's to do with basically Steve Lansdowne being very pleased. He, he called it a milestone this week, and, and I th- believe it's the first time he's turned a profit at Bristol City since he's been guiding the club. Yeah, and I think that element of transparency is always great, especially for you know thousands of fans, supporters with, with the club at heart. Uh, I think it's a great result for City, if you like to use a sort of football analogy in, in terms of those accounts. Uh, I think a lot of City fans will probably know, even before that, that you get the sense that City are relatively healthy but to have that sort of backed up in, in writing is is probably uh, good to see and especially at a time when so many clubs maybe aren't in that position or aren't so fortunate to have a, a Steve Lansdowne at the helm um, it just goes to show actually that City have not only improved but they've also improved by almost becoming healthier if you like or, or continuing to be a, a good beast sort of on and off the field Yeah I'm obviously a little bit biased here saying this but as a, a neutral, I, I honestly do feel that Bristol City are one of the most exciting clubs in the EFL yeah. in a way because of their trajectory, the way they're getting close to the Premier League, the business they've done, which has obviously been fundamental in terms of player trading, in terms of making these results, turning a profit, but also the way they're going about things. It's, it's kind of markedly different from a lot of other clubs. And I want to ask you sort of Ben I read a really good piece of yours recently on Preston I know that you've spoken to those 
feels to me that maybe Bristol City are kind of competing with the likes of Preston, maybe that sort of little cabal of clubs who are, who are not spending very much, who are sort of bringing in money from selling players and then basically trying to trade their way or sell players on their way to fund yeah, themselves make, going up to the Premier League. Who, who else would be in that group and what do you make of, of those kind of teams? Yeah, well, I, firstly, I think it's great to sort of see, if you like, especially at a time when I think in, in the intro of that piece I wrote about sort of the world spending, soft transfer embargoes and, you know, clubs selling the stadium to lease them back just to sort of balance the books. You know, City aren't one of those clubs and nor are Preston. And um, when I actually spoke to some of the people up at Preston there, you know, quite high up at the club, they, I actually asked the question, I said, who else do you sort of put in that same bracket, if you like, is yourself, how would you like to sort of see yourselves? And he said, well, the example that they uh, used was actually Barnsley, Brentford and Bristol City. And obviously Barnsley are not having the best time, but I do definitely see the analogy. The only thing that was said to me was that maybe Brentford and Bristol City, which I suppose is a good thing to hear for Bristol City fans, that maybe Brentford and Bristol City are fishing in slightly different ponds financially in terms of the, if you like, the, the player they might go and buy maybe for five, six million in, in terms of player trading, uh, whereas Preston are still sort of maximum looking at the sort of 1.5 million bracket, where City are actually a lot higher, Brentford too this summer, both uh, Bristol City and Brentford uh, smashed the transfer record this summer. Uh, whereas Preston are actually doing it on a sort of lot less budget, which is it's great. And I'm not saying either is, is different or, or better. Um, but I think those clubs are all in the same sort of way of thinking. And I think, OK, Barnsley are bottom of the league. But I think given what they've done, and you know, let's be honest, they're not the biggest club in that division. That's no disgrace. Uh, they lost a lot of key players in the summer, especially defensively. Um, Brentford on a good little run again they always seem to do it so I, th- I think those clubs Preston, Bristol City and Brentford are really good examples in the championship and they sort of fly the flag in the football league for what can be achieved it would be great be it Preston, Bristol City, Brentford if one of them could just sort of almost have something to show for it at the end which I suppose is what they're all striving to do Yes, actually it's interesting you say Preston there and, and them mentioning Bristol City as maybe fishing in the same ponds for players and it's exactly what Lee Johnson actually said, not this season when the club went up to Deepdale, but last season. I remember following the, the draw up there, a game in which Antoine Semenu had a great game. I think it was one all in the end. I remember in the press conference afterwards that Lee Johnson was asked by some of the local journalists up there about how he viewed Preston North End and, and their uh, transfer activity, the way they were going about things. And yeah, it tallies exactly with what he was saying there, that, that the head coach admitted that, that Bristol City were competing for some of the same players. I think, I think I, he did name check one of the players that they had looked at as well. I can't remember who it was. It was a, I think it was a midfielder. Oh, Potts maybe, I don't know. Yeah, yeah actually, no, no, you, no, no, you, no you, you're spot on. It was Potts, actually. I wrote a, a story off the back of it. It was Potts, and they admitted that they'd looked at him as well, and they'd, I think maybe Bristol City had, in the end, decided against it, but he was a, a player they were very interested in at the time. And, yeah, as you say there, I guess it's going to be interesting to see over the, the next few seasons maybe which of those clubs rises to the fore and it would be great if one of them did make it into the Premier League to kind of fly the flag for this new well yeah sort of different way of of doing things I know just going back to Lee Johnson again he he has said the same sort of thing that basically Bristol City are one of those clubs that yeah if they can make it up to the Premier League like Preston are aiming to do then a lot of clubs will probably look at how they've done it and, and use that as their blueprint 
Um, just wanted to sort of move on a little bit and say, in terms of the finances, what we've seen is Bristol City turn this profit, but mostly off the back of the player trading. And we're going to hear in a minute from Kira Maguire, the financial expert who I spoke to this week about Bristol City's finances in particular. But it's off the back of selling players. And obviously we know that um, the City Academy has had a big role to play in this. I just wondered (laughs) what your thoughts are on that, because when um, Steve Lansdowne is pointed to sort of the success of the recruitment team and the academy and basically the selling off of the youth players at Bristol City... I kind of find this funny because I don't think many people would have assumed that many years ago, and you, you might know better on, than this on me, when Steve Lansdowne was directing people towards the academy saying that this is how we're going to grow the club, we're going to bring through our, our players, maybe a lot of people didn't assume that it was to bring through those players to then sell them and basically use that money being brought in from the academy and players being sold off. Um, it would have been right to assume that you would bring through those talents and then hopefully they would take you to the Premier League. So does that surprise you at all that, that, that they've done this, that they've taken, that they've gone this route and how how do you assess it? Yeah, I think, first things first, I think in, I suppose in the ideal world you you don't sell them because they are with you, but I think that would be, what's the word, you, you, be a bit naive to sort of think that it just works like that. You know, you, you keep Joe Bryan, Bobby Reed forever. Do you know what I mean? You just turn down these bids because, well, now they're on our journey and they're, they're not on your journey. But I just don't think it works like that. Um, what I would say is I think it, it goes to show, again, the sort of uh, skill, if you like, in terms of holding and retaining and sometimes building, which I suppose is, is the most important aspect of it, is, is that value. Because... Without that, you, you don't get to that stage. And it's all about, I don't know if you can almost, not every academy player is probably going to make it, but if they do, then look at the value you've created. Now, I suppose that it's almost like the, the customer argument, which I know fans never like to be sort of seen as customers and things like that. So it's almost like that as players, you know, you're then sort of, uh, what's the word? You're, you're making them like a product as opposed to, a, you know, just a player at the front. Commodity. Fo- is commodity the, is the yeah. word I'm looking for. Yeah, thanks, Greg. And, you know, and, Ultimately, I think that is, is, maybe it's a bit crude to say, but I think clubs, not just Bristol City, but some of the ones we mentioned a minute ago, deserve a pat on the back for actually, one, creating a value where perhaps others would just dismiss it or it's easier to go in, in some cases, I don't know, it's easier to just go and buy a new player and let's not bother with this or whatever, or get a loan, whatever it is. But actually, City, if you look at across that squad, and even some of those guys we've probably never even heard of yet, they're, they're already creating value, and that is in the club's interest, which I think is a massive massive sort of bonus really yeah commodity I think is the word Steve Lansdowne used in his address during the week and that was when he was explaining about this being a milestone moment for the club in terms of their their financial reporting and turning a profit Um, and assets is the other one isn't it that is often used yeah yeah, it's interesting as you say this is obviously I, I, I mean as a neutral I think the club is doing great work here as you say nurturing these assets and, and then yes selling them some of them won't make it to the top you're right um, at the same time you're develop, developing those players getting the best from them I suppose that's where Lee Johnson comes in because he's, he's getting the best from these players that's why you want a coach like that as opposed to maybe certain other coaches um, just finally, and, and this is probably not the greatest conversation that Bristol City fans will want to hear, but if Bristol City don't make it, don't aren't promoted next summer, then likely we will see that that they will maybe have to sell one or two of those players 
Um, just who do you think is the most uh, ready to go and play in the Premier League? And I appreciate this is an awful That's question, question yeah, to, to, to ask you, but also for Bristol City fans to hear. But I, 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 like for myself, I would just say probably maybe out of these guys, Josh Brownhill, Thomas Callas, Hanno Masengo even... Um, could you see any of those maybe being cherry picked next next summer by a, by a Premier League side? Well, yeah. I mean, firstly, you'd like to think that they wouldn't come to that, but again, you know, let's not be totally naive. I think the next obvious one for me, I think his performances have been brilliant. He seems to have grown every year with the club. It is Josh Brownhill. I think I think he's the youngest captain in the league. Is that right? I've been very impressed with him, I have to say. But again, you look all through the team, and there's there's no sort of shortage of players that you could. I don't know that we're probably on the list or on the radars of lots of you know, top championship clubs or, or Premier League clubs. Um, and yeah. again, I think that, that you know it sounds a bit cliche, but that is a that is a good good thing. Yeah, Brownhill. I, I mean, want to end this section on a positive. And Josh Brownhill was so superb in that game against Charlton recently. A really classy bit of play uh, to win the match and sort mm. of really indicative of his all-round game. And yeah, I'd agree. I just think he's such a talent and. This isn't necessary to say he's going to be leaving the club. Hopefully they can tie him down. And I think they'll they'll have a chance of retaining his services because he's such good mates with the likes of Calamo Dowder, Sam Schmodix and Taylor Moore. And that's probably a good thing for the club. So, yeah, I'm not selling it, pushing him out the door or anything like that. Hopefully City can build around him and retain him for a while. But um, ultimately, just being realistic and saying this is the finances of the club. The only thing I would say as well, Greg, on a broader view, is, is actually when you look at other championship clubs there's a lot of clubs that don't have the sort of quality problem in the sense that City and Brentford and those teams do in terms of that value if you look at there's a lot of club, big clubs who kind of don't have anywhere to go they then they don't have players they can sell for 20-25 million like, like we've seen with Webster and that actually puts them in quite a difficult situation where it's then well who's who's paying the next 30-40 million whatever it is in the summer to, to go and improve the club there's a lot of teams with you know Clubs that, sort of, that I'm thinking of, Middlesbrough, Derby, don't have loads and loads of yeah. assets to to use that phrase. Yeah, a somber longer. Does he? I mean, this is this is bringing bringing me on to actually my final question of this section. Is you watch a lot more games across the championship than I do? Who's caught your eye maybe this season? Is there are there any players that that really stand out for you that maybe you you thought yeah they're a good player but I didn't realise they're quite so good as what I as what I've seen recently? Is there anyone? Really catching your eye at the moment. Um, I have been very impressed with Calvin Phillips every time I've seen him. Uh, Class act. Ben White as well. Uh, it leads. Um, Unfortunate to say that both those guys had very good games when uh, when they were down this way. I think Ben White played in that game. Yeah, in the, the start in, of the, season. in the first, yeah, in the opening weekend defeat. Unfortunately, here yeah. Calvin Phillips, obviously, yeah, or oh, absolutely quality defensive S- midfielder. Spoken to a few people about um, Eze uh, at QPR again, and I think there's a sense that. Uh, he is improving and doing a bit more of the dirty work than he did before, which ultimately, you know, he he's already had all the the other skill before. Maybe that was not lacking, but maybe that was just the the, the bit he needed to sort of refine. Mm. And there's a sense that I think he's done that. Ollie yeah. Watkins has been really impressive. Ben yeah. Ben Rama at Brentford. I think there's a lot of players at Brentford you yeah. could easily sort of. Uh, I don't. Suppose, did you watch any of the game in midweek? The bees against. Uh, they had a great win in their QPR. I watched a little bit of that game. Yeah, I saw a bit of that. Yeah, those guys were the standout acts, weren't they? In, in, in that, yeah. in that match. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think 
Brentford. And to be fair to QPR, I think Warburton's done a good job there. Um, big big changes in the summer, a lot of new faces, obviously staff changes. And I don't, I don't fancy them really for playoffs or anything like that, but I think they should be all right mid-table. Cool. Um, we'll leave it there. Then just on the finances section, here is my chat with Kira McGuire earlier in the week at the Liverpool Uni Academic who is highly regarded for his analysis of football finance. Here's how he assessed Bristol City's um, accounts for 2018-19 reported this week. My view is Bristol City have benefited from the the infrastructure spend at Ashton Gate um, in terms of that's now turning into um, hospitality and conferencing income, which is now practically half of their total income, which which is pretty impressive. So, so that, that's the first takeaway. Um, the second is that the club's um, talent spotting and recruitment has, has been superb in identifying good players who they can then uh, develop and sell on to, to other clubs. Um, you know, profits of $38 million from from player sales last season um, is, is sensational, you know, absolutely amazing, and, and you've got to give credit to the recruitment team from that. Um, I think the third takeaway is for a club like City, the costs of trying to compete in the championship are prohibitively high and they are incredibly lucky to have the owner that they do have who um, is, is clearly a fan of the club, a fan of the City and is prepared to continually invest um, in, in the club to, to give them a chance of promotion to the Premier League. Sure, yeah. I, I was going to say about the selling of players, yeah, it's, it's a very high amount. Um, in some respects, is, is that, yeah, it's very good business, but is it also a little bit kind of gloomy in a way because it does look like they're going to have to continually sell their best players? Um, because if you take away that 30 eight or 34 million whatever it was then they're still a, a long way behind being profitable aren't they no, that's right well if, if you're in the championship just that step you're going to lose money <laughs> you know, that's, um, the, the losses for 2018 before taking into account player sales in the championship were 569 million which which has doubled in the, in, in the, over the last five years so it, it, it's, it's an expensive business and, and the reason why it's so expensive is that the, the rewards of promotion to the Premier League are so high that it encourages clubs to gamble to, to try to secure one of those three promotion slots. Sure. Just sort of on that as well, I mean, what we've kind of noticed is the last two years the wage bill has gone up quite significantly I think it was yep. around 20 million two years ago. It's now up to 30 million. Um, I mean, is that like a trend you're seeing all across the championship, all across clubs, or is that possibly because maybe Bristol City are doing doing more more business and bringing in players, and they're having to pay them higher wages to attract them, or or maybe to retain them? Um, no, the, the, the wages in the championship um, are. Uh, very, very high. Over the course of the last five seasons, um, total income in the championship has risen by £260 million and total wages have increased by 280. So it is, uh, it is not unique to Bristol City. And in fact, if you look at their wage bill, um, they're actually in the bottom half. 
half of the division in, in terms of wages and they're, they're just trying to compete just a couple of other very quick ones there's we noticed that the other cost has gone up quite a lot um, do you reckon that would be to, to we were speculating maybe agents fees because they've done a lot of business recently or could that be other other items um, I think agents fees could be a contributory factor clearly um, given that they, they've sold players for 40 million um, that those players will have representatives and, and the representatives will be um, taking a slice of, of the of the fees um, but I also think it, it's part of the costs uh, part of the cost will have increased because the club has um, expanded the, the other functions you know it, it has invested in having conference and hospitality suites and, and, and they cost more money to run and maintain so uh, you know, that that will that, that will increase costs but it, it also drives higher revenues brilliant just finally Kieran um you said there about commercial income going up and we've sort of noticed that, that unfortunately sort of match day takings and money from broadcast has actually gone down this year because um, basically the accounts before had it covered their great run in the Carabao Cup. But I guess this is similar for, for many teams really. That And it's, again, it's, it's a bit gloomy uh, because, yeah, effectively it just goes to show how tough it is in the championship and that you, you kind of do need these runs in the cup competitions and, as we were saying earlier, to, to keep selling these players because that, that's probably going to be the only way they can, they can do it really to get up there. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I take on board what you say in terms of match day revenue, but if, if you take a look at the numbers, it is down, it, it is down by a million pounds, and clearly a million pounds is a lot of money to you or I, but compared to the, the other revenue sources, it's, it's relatively minor. It's more than, you know, uh, match day revenue is, what, one-sixth of commercial revenue for Bristol City. So I, I think the club has, has realised that as well. Um, they know that in the championship there's, there's a natural ceiling for, for attendances of, of around about 20,000 unless the club is pushing on in the top six. I think you'll have higher attendances there. But it takes an awful lot of, of extra, extra seats and tickets sold to, to turn into a lot of money in terms of revenue because... By the time you strip out VAT, by the time you strip out, you know, let's say a, a third of tickets are going to seniors or children, the actual, okay, for an extra thousand tickets sold, you're probably only going to make 20 to 25,000 pounds. Now, if you do that over a season of 20 games, you know, 20 times 20,000 is uh, four, you know, it's an extra half a million quid for per, per 1,000 fans. That, that's not a lot of money in, in the context of running a football club where you've got a wage bill of, of over 30 million. Yeah, that, that makes sense to us then. Uh, thanks ever so much for your time, Kieran. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, they, they do a lot of um, concerts they've been having and they're all sorts down at um, Ashton Gate this year, so obviously that's having a good effect. But yeah. And that will also impact on the costs, you know, the stewarding costs, the um, the extra insurance costs if you've got artists appearing at the stadium that, that will also contribute towards those the, the other costs uh, total going up Big thank you to Kieran Maguire there and we're just going to round off the podcast now by talking about the upcoming game at Barnsley and maybe a bit more sort of rounded championship chat and maybe who Ben fancies uh, at the moment are there any teams who, who, who are impressing you maybe above the uh, 
who you didn't expect earlier in the season? Or we could come back to this, mate. No, but what I would say is I think given the run, the sort of sticky run they went on, they had a few defeats. Uh, maybe people thought the sort of Swansea bubble had burst. But I have to say, I was at Swansea for the, the derby on Sunday last weekend. And they were impressive. Uh, I mean, Cardiff were very flat, very poor, I have to say, a, a midfield. Obviously, with Marlon Pack in there, not, not to sort of scapegoat him, but thought they just got totally overran. Wasn't impressed with Cardiff. But I think Swansea maybe do have the sort of tools to actually threaten. Maybe, I don't know, maybe people think that anyway, but I think a lot of people maybe thought they might have sort of just <coughs> might down Yeah. Table there. Good signs there for Bristol City in terms of heading to Cardiff yeah. next. And uh, yeah, that's just what you want to hear, really. <laughs> a flat performance from uh, ahead of the seven side derby coming up. Um, Barnsley, then, obviously, they've had a, a lot of um, change around in, in staff and players. Can you see any hope for them at all <laughs> this season? It's looking pretty bleak, but. The other thing is, I suppose, uh, Bristol City maybe go there at a good time in terms of the run that the home side are on at the moment. I was speaking to um, the local reporter, Doug O'Kane, this week for a bit of background on how the Tykes are doing. And he explained to me how they're basically on on a record run uh, of of not winning for quite a while now. They, They were pretty abject in their last match and... Yeah, they, they've got a lot of problems there. So it's good for City to be maybe heading there at this point in time, except for the fact that City are missing so many people themselves. Obviously, Famry Jeju, as we've discussed, is is banned once again. And Lee Johnson now banned as well from the touchline. Not too sure if that's going to have a big effect or not. But obviously, Lee picks up a one-match touchline ban for his... Um, abusive or improper language towards an official in the Luton Town game. So Lee yeah. Bowyer was a big fan of the view though at Ashton Gate, wasn't he, right up on, on yeah. the gantry? So maybe <laughs> maybe it will serve City well, who knows? I, yeah, I was writing on social media that if Lee Johnson was going to be banned for a visit to any ground, then Oakwell's maybe not too bad because he probably knows the best vantage <laughs> points there, the best place to watch the game from. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where that is on, on Friday. But, yeah, just just a word on Barnsley. What do you, I, I, I suppose, yeah, do you, do you see much hope for them? And I, I know you covered, obviously, Daniel Stendhal a lot. That, that was, a, for me, that was a big surprise when they got rid of the German and... I think he's German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, uh, basically, it's um, they're not doing too well at the moment. No, is it? That was a messy divorce as well, Gregor, with, with, with Sendor, because the fans were absolutely livid with the club for, for sort of uh, going in that direction, i.e., getting rid of him. You know, this is a guy who really is brought into Barnsley. You've probably seen a video of him with uh, drinks at the Garrison pub in Barnsley. He watched the World Cup thereafter. You know, getting behind England with an England shirt on, what was that, 2018? So, you know, this is a guy who really struck up a chord with the, the supporters. Now they're obviously heading a different direction, I'm told. They're um, interviewing candidates from abroad as well as sort of maybe trying to give Adam Murray a chance, a caretaker. I think it, yeah, it does, you know, let's be honest, it looks bleak for them. They have lost a lot of key players. That's the thing I would say. It's not like they're stoked and people are expecting Barnsley to be, you know, I don't know, pushing in the top six or whatever. I think, you know they've probably got the smallest budget in the league I'm just thinking off the top of my head I, you know so maybe they are where they sort of should be maybe they're a bit of a dangerous beast in the sense they haven't got anything to lose now and again I, I don't know maybe this is just one of those things but City maybe they struggled against that sort of team they seem to maybe it's the same for every team but this City do seem to raise their game for those those biggies especially at home um, obviously this is away but 
Uh, yeah, Corley Woodrow. There's there's that narrative, isn't there? Yeah. He could, he's, he's, I think he's got five goals. Is it five goals he got this season? Some, I think he has. Yeah. And obviously he scored 19 last season. His goal-scoring record is impeccable. And like Doug was saying to me, he's now got something like... 34 in 68 games is, is bang on one in one league goal in two matches so yeah call it I don't know if you saw much of him when he was here at Ashton Gate but actually I used to was writing about Corley that he was very unlucky to not get more playing minutes because his actual goal scoring ratio to minutes was very high here which was strange for a lot of fans to hear mm. but he was he was at the time I think in that Bobby Reid's side, I think, and he had maybe the second best ratio of goals per minute in the squad. He was just hardly played, played at all. I guess Lee Johnson didn't like his all-round game as as opposed to his finishing. And I suppose maybe it's difficult if Bobby was sort of banging the goals, or you know, as he was. But on on Woodrow, it's interesting. I remember doing a piece on uh, Luton a couple of years ago. It was actually regarding Max Aaron's, James Justin. Obviously, all these guys now are. Uh, you know, tearing up for want of a better phrase, but he's actually said to me that, that Cordy Woodrow was the one going back a long, long time, but he was sort of 14, 15, that he was the one they thought he was literally going to be a world beater. You know, this was a guy who was special at that level. Everyone knew Cordy Woodrow, and they were saying it was the same with Alex Pritchard. Mm. Um, i trying to think he, where he is now. You know, the, the, yeah. these guys that scouts were across like you know like a, like a rash because they were the ones doing it and obviously you know he's, he's still done very well but he's maybe not had the quite the career that was maybe expected I remember that piece of yours and yeah just on Corley I think he was he is an England youth international at some believe so yeah so and, and obviously just tying that in Jada Silva obviously comes from that Luton yeah, family yeah, player forgot, yeah, yeah. so uh, there's, a, there's a, a nice Bristol City link there as well um, yeah I I suppose maybe we just round off the podcast with maybe a, a last chat about the, the championship if there's anything else to cover. But, <laughs> uh, what have you made of teams like um, Sheffield Wednesday, who, who a bit of a surprise for me at the moment? Obviously had a, a nil-nil draw, I think, with Leeds last or the other uh, last yeah. weekend. Um, they were good as well. I saw a bit of that. A yeah, bit, they were good. Yeah, I watched a bit of that as well, and and obviously Nottingham Forest are the ones for me as well. That I'm a little bit worried about. I'm not too sure if they've got the squad depth, but I, I see them qu- um, grinding out result after result. And um, they've got a massive squad. Yeah. So, um, have you seen much of those guys at all? Um, I've still seen more Sheffield Wednesday than Forest, I believe. Yeah. Uh, I must admit, I'm a little bit. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased for Sabri Lamucci actually because I think that's a bit of a thankless task that Forest job he has got a massive squad there's a lot to work with there a lot of players to keep happy ultimately uh, they, they've done well they've had a good start I'm not wholly convinced it's going to end in uh, joy and promotion and things like that Could, but you know maybe it will Sheffield Wednesday is interesting because Bullen obviously had a great start caretaker charge I do think Gary Monk is Good get at this level. Um, maybe not everybody's favourite manager, but seems to be heading in the right direction there. It's an interesting squad as well. It's the sort of squad people might sort of turn their noses up at, but there's a lot of tried and tested players in there. Forestieri's back now. Will be interesting. Again, I don't really have no idea how they're going to do, but I think it'll be interesting if you know, there's got to be one team that gets in amongst it. Well, could that be Brentford for you? Obviously, they had that big that we've just been saying about the QPR <coughs> win. That that strikes me as as possibly, yeah, maybe a bit of a spark for their form. Because from what I've seen of Brentford's results, I haven't watched them too much, but they don't seem to have done it consistently away from home. I just wonder if maybe they're going to get that consistency, and, and maybe this year they could challenge 
for a, a top six place, which they've threatened to do for a couple of seasons now, but they just haven't been able to achieve it. So, um, I mean, just from people I speak to behind the scenes, I've spoken to um, a couple of agents before, football agents, who said to to me that basically they, they always have such a good squad, but because they don't maybe pay quite high enough wages, they're never going to be able to retain their best players. And because they can never retain their best players, it kind of leads us back round full circle to Bristol City and, and Preston. Is Can those teams ever actually make it up to the top league by consistently selling their best players? And it would be great, if I suppose, if one of those guys actually goes and, and does it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the thing with Brentford, and you could argue the same for Preston and Bristol City, it's you almost need the perfect season. You know, you, you need, I mean, people at Preston were saying they had injuries and stuff before, and they're sort of confident that they don't have injuries. And, you know, but you do need everything to, to go A1. Um, Brentford, I do think they, I mean, Janssen, I know people maybe sort of forgot about it now. There's a lot of hoo-ha at the time, you know, Leeds, all that. But, you know, yeah, you know, he, he could be a big factor. I, I always think, looking at Janssen, he's a, a defender that I love to hate. And I always think, I always think it's those players you hate. You see him on the pitch and, and he's doing all the dirty stuff <laughs> with respect to him. But that's something to be admired if he's your player and yeah. that's what you want to see from your centre-back, you know, that, yeah. Um, and, and I think maybe Brentford, not saying me personally, but maybe sort of the perceptions they have got all the flair and all of that, maybe they did possibly lack a bit of that. So now maybe they've sort of added that and... Again, maybe that's made them a fuller package, if not the full one. I mean, long way to go, but obviously Watkins is a big help there because he's he's gone from that sort of left wing role to up front, and I think he's got eight, maybe nine goals now. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. I think teams, teams like uh, you know, teams like Huddersfield that would have been fancy to maybe sort of do okay. You know, obviously we all know about Stoke, Fulham. Again, on the, on the edge, what are they not actually really, going to yeah. serve up? Not West really. Brom are top of the league, mm. and he speaks to people there, and they've, they've barely got going, you know, in, in terms of actually a flow. Get the top of the league, so it's hard to, you know, what are we, 14 games in, it is hard to, yeah. to read into too much. Coming up to a third of the season played. Ben, it's been great having you on the podcast. As per usual, thank you ever so much for joining us. We're going to end the Robins on the Wire episode this week with uh, our little talk with Tommy Rowe, which took place during the week at the pre-Barnsley press conference. Tommy's been in great form down the left flank for Bristol City this season, and we asked him about match preparation, what he's made of life in Bristol so far, and also heard from Tommy about his connections with Peterborough United and where he was influenced by Gary Johnson, obviously Lee's father, ahead of coming to BS3 this season. Hiya, Tommy. What's the mood in the camp at the moment following that 2-2 draw on Sunday? I think it's very positive. Um, the team, the type of team that we are, um, we look at the results after every game. We review the footage and we're quite honest as a group. Um, individually, we need to improve after every game and we get that. But there's got to be sort of an element of understanding that, you know, where we're at as well. And I think, you know, we're, we've come this far now and... Um, We've had sort of, sort of adversities with injuries and that, and you know the group's changed a lot over the last few games. So to, to come into a game on Friday now, with you know a few days to spare now, get the, the rest into the legs, and we're all upbeat, we're all positive, and we're, more importantly, we're all excited because the run of results we've had. We know we could have sort of done better in, in certain games, and and that happens. But 
you know, we're, we're always optimistic we can go in, out there in, in every game and, um, and get three points. I think, I think a lot of the fans, to be fair, were a bit frustrated with the display uh, on the Sunday. Is that a frustration shared by the players as well? Or? Um, it is. I think it's a bit different in terms of the way we, we, we sort of need to show our frustration. We, we show it in, you know, in our approach, in our honesty, because it gives us something to um, to build off. Um, we sort of set up for you know the usual week by a lot of planning, a lot of prepping the staff, the the team, and there's a lot of work that goes into it to sort of get the right result. So you know it's it's hard when we don't get the right result because we know how much planning and preparation has gone into it. So for us, it's how can we correct the little things to sort of make the big impacts, and um, that's something that we focus on even more after a sort of bad result or a bad performance mainly because the results have obviously take care of themselves but performances you need to sort of do your best on that um, but you know the run of the games that we've had is, is also sort of impacted by the sort of level of intensity as well and you know I spoke before about that Charlton game you know it was incredible sort of the, the energy that it, it had at the end of the game and you know, it, it does take through to the next game. So the main thing for us now is we've had a few days to, to, to look at the next game and it's 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 Barnsley for us now. So our focus and our intention is on setting up for a plan to, to go out there and get three points. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about the Charlton game. Um, was there any extra relish there for you? Because obviously that was the last team you played when you were at Doncaster, I think, in the playoffs, was it? And um, do you do you, do you take anything extra because you, you beat Charlton or not really just another game? Completely forgot about it to be honest. Yeah. Um, I say that because uh, it's something for me this season I've had to focus on um, is my sort of attention to detail about who I'm playing next and that doesn't go about how many times I've beat them in my career and if it means, you know, what do I have to do this week to, to play my best? And it often doesn't actually have to do with the, the last sort of season or anything it's, it's the current game and, and what we need to do and I spoke previously about how we, we take care of ourselves and you know very little goes into that what we worry about it's more about what we can produce on the day so for me it was more about you know putting myself in a position where I can go and help the team most and you know I'm delighted that we ended up the, the result went the way it did at the end and uh, it, was a, it was a great game Back to Wigan Pedro Pereira the fullback on the other side or wingback scores his first goal uh, for Bristol City do you, do you know offhand if it was his first goal in professional football because um, I've got a feeling it might have been well he's 21 so yeah, it so could possibly be his first goal I know he's first ever goal yeah um, what was it like what was he like after the game because I could imagine he would be very buoyant obviously good display from him personally First, first goal in professional football, and, and an important goal as well because it gets obviously a point. Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a tough one really because we were all disappointed because our intentions were to go and win the game at home to put on a good performance for the fans because you know that's what we're there at home for to, to if you like to make a fortress but to go out there and put good performances on because we know we're not going to win every game but if if our performance levels right then then brilliant. Um, Pedro had a great game on, on the day, uh, you know, and he's got himself a goal and shown that, you know, there's the importance of this season is having sort of two plays for one position. Um, I spoke about it earlier and I think it's it's so important for us that we do it now because of sort of the injuries that we've had, if you like. Um, and he's come in and, you know, he's, he's had to 
do well because of the form of Jack and you know hopefully that's going to give him all the confidence for Friday was it always a plan for you, Tommy, to play left wing back when you came to the club? Or obviously, you, you, you're a versatile player, as I understand it. You played in different positions. When you came in, was did they specifically say you might play a left back here, or is it a case of you might play a couple of positions? But we'll, we'll look, we'll look to see how it progresses. I think the chats that we had was more about um, making me aware of like positions that he he saw me sort of doing well for the for the team, and um, you know they they obviously work well with me so I can adapt to different situations but it was about putting the work in in, in sort of positions that I wasn't familiar in uh, I've played most positions um, down the left side um, for all clubs so it was more about understanding the intensity of the championship now you know um, this season it's it's gone up another level in my opinion so the work that we do on the training ground with the coaching staff um, is is so important uh, and you know it takes a lot of focus and that's something that I've had to sort of nail on and depends on, it doesn't really matter what position it's the sort of level of concentration that we, we go through and um, yeah that, that's been the main thing that I'd say that I've noticed uh, coming into the club was giving my all in training to, to understand what they want what the roles and the objectives were and then going out there and uh, executing them has Jamie McAllister spoken to you much? Because obviously he's a former left back here, and obviously he would have been patrolling that flank like yourself a few years ago. Have you worked much with him on on that on that left wing back position, or is it not is it not something that's come up? No, it has. It's, it's come up regularly. Um, if it's not a team practice where we're, we're together, it's an individual where uh, Mac will take me one v one, or even with other fullbacks, me and Pedro Jack. Um, we'll do sessions we did a lot pre-season where we were in groups um, defensive groups so you know the work's been put in um, I think the important thing is is continuing with it you know I've just said through the run of games it's hard to get training sessions in through recovery and games but we're finding ourselves now where we've got to still see that as a, as a, a room for improvement and um, we still do that if it's, if it's not going out there on the grass we're talking about ways of improving and uh, meetings, uh, specialist meetings on you know sort of ways we can help benefit our game, and Mac has been integral in, in all of that, um, as has Dino and um, and the gaffer. Of um, just pumping me with information where I can go out there and, and do the best job. Yeah, I was going to say, how, how are you finding your time just generally at Bristol City, on and off the pitch? Absolutely loving it. Um, you know, when you come to a new club, you expect to, to love everything about it, but it doesn't always work that way. You know, I've been to a few clubs now, um, but so far, like everything about it, from you know the media team to the, the fans to the people that live around where, where I'm from now at the minute, uh, have been great, and the team have been amazing with me. Um, so I think you know you don't rest on your laurels. I've never have. Um, I want to keep working hard, work harder, and. Um, you know, see where we can go with it. Yeah, I don't think I've spoken to you since you joined the club. But did you know many of the lads before you came in? Uh, personally, I didn't know, didn't know anybody. Um, it was more about knowing players through playing against them, mm. um, sort of familiar faces, if you like. Um, but you know, I've, I've spoke quite highly, and you know, the, the culture of the club, um, the sort of change of culture that when I came, that did the new approach, the management team had taken on it, and. It helps any new player adapt, and uh, certainly found that far easier than than other times. Just last couple of things, and um, I, I think you had a, a 
probably a very good reference in, in terms of Gary Johnson because um, you played for him I believe when you're at Peterborough I, I think you've spoken on this already but um, yeah is that something that maybe <laughs> helps you come down this way and obviously working with Gary in the past and is there a lot of difference between Lee and Gary? Yeah it's definitely something that influenced it um, I spoke uh, he came to the training ground not long ago actually and we had a good chat um, and it was quite funny really because my time at Peterborough under Gary was um, we were sort of being in, in the championship when I was really young and um, I was still learning the way and uh, he was a great person for me at the time to sort of help me on, on sort of the way I wanted to play and um, you know I was, I was very much the sort of player that would play any position then so I think that was the reason why is because of like the attitude that I showed towards you know adapting to a new manager new position new shapes I think it was an easy one for him to say you know he, he can adapt people change and people grow to different players but I think it's part of my game that you know I've got to thank you know for the way I have to adapt to certain positions and roles if you like and um, I, I always think it's a good thing for a player to to learn different roles and responsibilities in the team um, if you like two players for each position but why not play you can play three or four positions and you know you covered there if, if there is injuries great to hear from Tommy Rowe there player who's certainly having a very good season this year for the Robins. And that's it for this episode 98 of Robins on the Wire. Not too far from the big 100. We hopefully will have some special plans for that and we'll hopefully catch you next week. Robins on the Wire.